This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And we are back to our series this week um, on Ephesians, which is really about building up the body of Christ. And so we took a one-week break last week, and we're, we're back today. And really, this first part of Ephesians 1 is about the blessings that we have in Christ. And so we're talking today about unwrapping your blessings Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to look this morning at verses 3 through 6. Verses 3 through 14 are really one long sentence in Greek as the Apostle Paul is just pouring out like a cascade of God's blessings that belong to every believer. And today we're going to begin to dig into that section. So let's look at it together. If you're using one of the Bibles in the pews, it's page 976. Ephesians 1, and let's look at verses 3 through 6. Paul says, Blessed be, praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray. Father, as we begin to dig into this part of Ephesians, which is just so filled with the blessings that are ours in Christ, Father, we pray that you would show us our blessings so that we can understand them and really unwrap them and begin to enjoy them and apply them to our living. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to us right now every time that we open our Bibles and we begin to dig into Your Word, whether it's here on Sunday morning in a large group, whether it's in a a class, in a small group, or whether uh, it's in our time in Your Word every day. Whenever we open our Bibles, there is explosive potential for transformation. And so, Father, we pray that You would do that very thing right now. Change hearts and lives and work in, a, in us in a way that could only be explained in terms of the supernatural moving of your Holy Spirit. And we'll give you praise for it. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, those weeks leading up to Christmas are some of the greatest times, aren't they? And especially if you're a kid, or maybe even a kid at heart, um, those are weeks of anticipation. And I don't know about you, but when I was growing up and all the gifts were arranged underneath the tree, 
I knew exactly which ones had my name on it. You know, they had the tags from so-and-so to so-and-so. I knew everyone that had my name on it as I was just looking forward to unwrapping it. And in this first part of Ephesians, it's all about the blessings that are ours in Christ. And so what we're talking about here is really the fact that these blessings, if you know Jesus, they have your name on them. And they are ours to unwrap and to enjoy. And the first blessing that we're, we're talking about today is the fact that we are chosen by God. Now, throughout the Bible, there's a beautiful balance between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And so you see lots of passages in the Bible about God's choosing us. You see words like we do here about the fact that God predestined us, He chose us. You see lots of passages like that in Scripture. And then you also see lots of passages in Scripture about our human responsibility to choose Him. Like in Ezekiel in the Old Testament, God says, Choose life. Why would you die? Turn and live. When Jesus gets ready to go into the city of Jerusalem, He weeps over the city because of the stubbornness of people's hearts. And Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem and He says, How I longed to gather you to myself, just like a hen gathers her chicks beneath her wings, and you would not. They they refuse to come. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. He says, follow me. Okay, those those are choices. So we see in Scripture that we make choices and that we're held accountable for our choices. So you see both of those things in Scripture. God's sovereignty, language about God's choosing us, human responsibility, our responsibility to choose Him. Imagine, if you will, a pulley coming with two ropes hanging down from the ceiling. Okay, One of those ropes is all the passages in the Bible that talk about God's sovereignty. And the other rope is all the passages that talk about human responsibility. Well, if we're going to be biblical, we have to hold on to both ropes, okay? If we let go of either rope, what's going to happen, right? You go down. And throughout church history, and and unfortunately a lot of people today, they go down in one way or the other into sort of an unhealthy extreme on this issue because they don't maintain the balance that is there in Scripture. There's a beautiful balance in Scripture on this issue. So the first thing that I would say to you as we approach it is, number one, be balanced, okay? The other thing I would say is be humble. Be humble. You know, there are a lot of things in the Bible, this just being one of them, that there's always going to be a certain amount of mystery, And we have to be humble enough to to live with mystery. We 
will never be able to, to figure out how these two things go together in the mind of God. But trust me, these two things, His sovereignty and our responsibility, are totally compatible in the mind of God. We might not understand how these things fit together. Believe me, it's just not a problem for God at all. Okay, and so we need to understand His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And what is difficult for us to figure out with our finite minds is not difficult for for God at all. And so there's a certain amount of humility that is called for here um, when, when we approach um, an issue like this. Mark Twain once said, it, it ain't the parts of the Bible that I don't completely understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand. Okay? There's plenty there that we totally understand. Like, for instance, we are called to reach the world for Christ. We're called to present the gospel to every person on earth. How God works it all out as far as you know, his sovereignty and his choosing and their responsibility to choose, that's God's business. Okay? Our business is to preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel to every single person under creation, and we leave the results to him. Now, there's also another principle that not only applies to this passage, but to every passage in the Bible and that can keep us from trouble, and that is something called authorial intent. In other words, what was the biblical author intending to convey to the original readers? Now, think about the original readers of the letter to the Ephesians. Here are these people... They're living as a small minority of Christians in a very hostile, pagan environment. Many of these people had lost family members. They had lost friends because of their faithfulness to Christ. People had shunned them, disowned them. They had lost things financially. They lived under the constant threat of imprisonment or worse, even the threat of death because of their faith in Christ. What did they need to hear? What is the Apostle Paul trying to convey to them? What he's trying to convey to them here is the assurance of God's love. He's trying to assure them of the fact that the trials that they're going through were not a surprise to God. And that God loves them, and in fact, God has always loved them, and God is not going to let go of them now. Now, those are things that we need to know as well when we go through difficult times in our lives. So let's plunge into this this first um, blessing. And we see, first of all, that we are chosen in Christ. What does he say in verse 4? Even as he chose us in him, in Christ before the foundation of the world. Before God even created the world, He knew that His good creation was going to become marred by sin. God knew that the the people that He loved, the people that He created, were going to choose to rebel against Him, that they were going to turn their backs on Him. But also... 
before the creation of the world. God had a plan to redeem, to rescue his rebel subjects. He still loved them despite all of their rebellion. And God had a plan to redeem them and to redeem them in a way that would not compromise either his holiness or his love. Well, how was he going to do that? And again, before the foundation of the world, God's plan was to rescue us by becoming one of us, to become a human being and allowing all of our sins, all of the evil of the world to converge on him on a bloody cross. And the plan was for Christ to rise from the dead, to conquer death, so that all who place their trust in Christ can be saved, can have eternal life. And so Paul says here that he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. He chose us in him, but we have a responsibility to choose Christ as well. Now, how does that work out? He chose us. We have a responsibility to choose him. I like the way Chuck Swindoll put it. Chuck Swindoll once said, he said, imagine that you're walking down a road and you come to a gate. And on the gate are inscribed the words of Jesus, whosoever will, let them come. And so you do that. You choose Christ. You, you trust in the work of Christ. And you walk through the gate. And you walk through the gate. And then you turn around and you look at the other side of the gate. And on the other side of the gate are inscribed the words chosen in Christ from the foundation of the world. You know, both are there in Scripture. God is the one who puts all of that together. So we are chosen in Christ. Second, we are chosen for holiness. Chosen for holiness. Again in verse 4, he says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now the word holy means to cut it means to, to separate. It means that, that God has called us out of the world to be His special people. To be holy is to be different. And we have to be different from the world in order to make a difference in the world. God has chosen us to be like Christ He's called us out from the world and he's in the process as we grow in Christ of making us more and more like Jesus. Again, Romans 8:29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He's in the process of of making us like Christ. Now listen, if we aren't different from the world, how can we ever make a difference in the world? It's changed people that God uses to change people. And this is what makes the compromise of so many churches so tragic. It is so tragic to see so many denominations and so many churches just disregarding 
what God's Word says about issues such as sexuality. We're just seeing uh, just a, a stampede of churches and denominations that are just rushing to be just like the world. Well, that's not only just a flat-out rebellion against God and a denial of the Bible, but it's tragic for lost people. If we're not any different from the world, what does the world have to turn to if the church looks just like the world? Some years ago when the Susan B. Anthony silver dollar was introduced, it was 1979, and I remember there was much fanfare about that. People were even saying, this is going to replace the dollar bill. Remember that? It was just like this huge build-up to it and everything. It was the most unsuccessful piece of coinage in American history. They discontinued it in 1981. Why? Because it looked like a quarter. (laughs) You know, there's no way that we can make a difference for the sake of people in the world if we look just like the world. We're to be God's holy people. We're to be different. And that means different in the way that we treat other people, in the quality of our love for other people, different in uh, our love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And it means that our worldview is different. Our view of all kinds of subjects is, is formed and shaped by the Word of God. And so, yes we are going to be different from the world. And sometimes we'll be looked down upon because of that. But that's okay. Because for us, it's not about being liked by everybody. It's about loving people and making a difference for the glory of Christ and the lives of others. And so we're we're chosen for holiness. Third, we're chosen for adoption. Again, verses 4 and 5. In love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And you see God's sovereignty here. Uh, He predestined us for adoption as sons. In John 1, you see our human responsibility. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. None of us is a child of God by nature. We become children of God through adoption. And the Bible tells us that when we receive Christ, when we believe Christ and trust in the finished work of Jesus, that God adopts us as his own beloved children. Jesus uses parent-child language. For instance, when he, when he talks about prayer, what does Jesus say in Matthew 7? He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him. When we understand that God has become 
our Father, a generous Father who loves us, who delights to give when we ask according to His will, we'll pray more and we'll pray more boldly. And not only in does Jesus use parent-child language when he talks about how we should view prayer, but it, it affects how we address God in prayer. How does Jesus teach us to pray? Matthew 6, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, the word Father here is Abba, which was a very tender Aramaic word that was only used in the context of the family unit. Just like today, there's only three people in the world that address me as daddy. Okay, Abba was like that. It was a tender term that was just used within the context of a family. And nobody used that word to address God in prayer until Jesus. And Jesus used it all the time. He called God his Father. Now, we would expect Jesus to do that because Jesus is the Son of God. But Jesus tells us to do it. He says to us, when you pray, you can call God your Father. Why? Because he's adopted us as his own. Now, Paul just brings this out beautifully in Romans 8. He says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you, a, makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Again, Galatians 4. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child and since you are his child god has made you his heir ravi zacharias tells about a christian couple dear friends of his who began an orphanage and the orphanage was especially for children that were born with severe birth defects and in this orphanage was a little nine-year-old boy and he was born with a rare brain disorder that made it very difficult for him to connect thoughts. And the little boy kept seeing his friends from the orphanage get adopted. And so his, his friends were leaving and he, he was heartbroken because he was still there. And then the question began to come up, why doesn't anyone choose me? And then came the call from a couple in Texas who had already adopted one child from that orphanage who was a good friend of this little boy's, and now they wanted to adopt this little boy. And they wanted his new name to be Anson Josiah, and they were going to call him AJ. And so in the weeks leading up to his new adopted parents coming to get him, he, this little boy would walk around the orphanage and he would he would say, my name is A.J. And he would point to his chest and say, you can call me A.J. And Ravi says this, isn't it interesting that even with the debilitation of disconnected thought, he's able to pick up the redeeming thrill of relationship and his profound worth 
as evidenced by his new name. You know, the world tries to tell you that your worth is located in all kinds of other stuff. You know, how much money you make, the way that you look, you know, your position in life or your prestige in life and, 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 and all of that. The world, world tries to locate our worth in all those things. The Bible says our, our worth is located in none of those things. It says your worth is located in whose you are, who you belong to. You are a child of the King, of the Father, chosen for adoption. And then we see that we're chosen for praise, chosen for praise. Verse 6, he says that God has done this to the praise of his glorious grace. Why does God in Scripture constantly tell us to praise him? For us to constantly want to be praised is is not a very good thing, is is it? I mean, isn't it, isn't it for us, if we constantly are yearning for praise, that's not a good thing. That's a very kind of selfish, self-seeking kind of a thing. But not for God. Not for God. It's not a self-seeking kind of thing for God at all to command us to praise Him. Now, why is that? Sam Storm says this, God is the one, the one being in the universe for whom self-exaltation is the supremely loving act. Now, why is that? When we exalt ourselves, that's not, a, that's not a loving thing. That's not a good thing. That's a sinful thing. But for God, self-exaltation is the supremely loving act. Now, why is that? Because what does God desire most? Our good. God desires our greatest good. And what is that? It's him. It's him. Our our greatest good is God. God himself. Getting to know God and his love and his beauty and his holiness and his wonder. And God communicates himself to us. As we worship Him. As we praise Him. And that's why God's pursuit of our praise is not a self-seeking act, but a self-giving act. Again, Sam Storm puts it very well. The reason God seeks our praise is not that He won't be complete until He gets it. Rather, He is seeking our praise because we won't be happy until we give it. Our greatest joy is in worshiping Him and in knowing Him. And what do we praise Him for? What does it all go back to? It goes back to the fact that He has redeemed us. It goes back to the gospel, the good news that we have believed. Seventy years ago, on this day, our forces were beginning to go inward into Normandy and France. They had stormed the beaches on June the 6th, and now they were fighting their way through the hedgerows in Normandy. And once the, the, the landings were successful, Hitler's doom was really 
sealed. The outcome really was not in doubt, but there was still going to be tons of fighting left in Europe and even more in the Pacific. And there were still American POWs that were being held, and especially the ones that were held by the Japanese were, had endured horrendous types of conditions. Well, imagine this. Imagine that you've got this, this group of American POWs in, in a Japanese POW camp. They're behind barbed wire. They are emaciated. Many of them are sick. They've been tortured. They're malnourished. They're unshaven and unkempt. And on the outside of the barbed wire, their captors are, are patrolling with machine guns. And one day, their guards look through the barbed wire and they see the American POWs smiling and they're laughing and the ones that still have the strength to do so are shouting for joy. What's happened? Nothing, nothing seems to have changed. They're still in the POW camp. Many, they're still emaciated. Many are still sick. What has changed? What has changed is that someone has smuggled a shortwave radio into that camp. And they've been able to keep up with the progress of the war. And news has come to them. The news that the Allied forces have broken through and are just a few miles away. And they are about to be liberated. Now... John Piper says, this is the difference news makes. Christians have heard the news that Christ has come into the world and fought the decisive battle to defeat Satan and death and sin and hell. The war will soon be over and there is no longer any doubt as to who will win. Christ will win and he will liberate all who have put their trust in him. Have you put your trust in Christ? Have you turned from sin, turned from trying to do life your own way, and repented, turned around and turned to Jesus and trusted in what he has done for you? The good news of the gospel is not that sin and hell and death no longer exist. They certainly do. The good news is that the king has conquered all of those things. He has conquered. And if we trust in the liberator, in Jesus, and what he has done, the Bible says we're going to be enjoying his glory forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the glorious good news of the gospel. Father, I pray for anyone here today who is yet to receive and believe on that good news. Father, I pray that today would be the day that they turn to Jesus and trust in him. As we just continue to pray right now, the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right now from your heart, would you call out to the Lord and say, I believe, I believe that you died for my sins, that you rose from the dead. And right now, Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life as my Savior, my King. I desire to 
to follow you with my life. Is that the cry of your heart today? In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And if you've decided to follow Jesus, I want to invite you as others stand just to slip out from where you are and just come and share with me what God has done in your life. He tells us to acknowledge him publicly before others. If we can't acknowledge him publicly in a setting like this where we're going to be affirmed for following Christ, how can we stand for him out there in the world? You come. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family, we want to invite you to slip out and to come. If there's a need in your life for prayer, you want to pray with someone, we invite you to come. So, Father, we give you this, now this time of decision. Lord, would you work and have your way in hearts? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.